Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege to welcome you to the program. Please stay with us for this hour as we are again endeavor to open the Bible, look into God's Word. And uh, we are going to learn a bit more that the Lord hears and delivers. I'd like to just uh, let you know that you can be part of this program. And I'll invite you to send us a, a text message with a thought, maybe a comment, a question you may have in your mind. And the phone number is 0482098383. Don't hesitate to be in contact with us and we'll be very happy to hear from you. Let us know where you are listening from. That will be also uh, good to know. And uh, just maybe say hello to the panel here. Have this number safe because we'll come with the offer just a little bit later. And I would like to welcome our panel today, and it's good to have with us uh, Len. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your welcome, Lisa, Nick, and hello, listeners. We're glad you've joined us. Joe, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. Uh, it's great to be here today. Hi, Brenton. Welcome to the discussion. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good discussion as Jerry leads us. Will, it's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here. And Jerry, as Brenton was just uh, mentioning, it's good to have you with us and also that you were able to prepare this uh, Bible study. You're going to facilitate this discussion. Thank you for putting... Uh, things together and spending a bit extra time uh, to prepare for this. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Nick. Looking forward to it. It's a very important um, topic uh, today. We are still in the book of uh, Psalms and not many times probably we take uh, Bible studies on the book of uh, Psalms, but there are so many things which we already find out that we can learn and apply in our uh, life. And I heard about comments from people that they never look at the book of Psalms in uh, this way, like um, when you particularly give a special attention and try to understand what the author, which is God, you know, of the the Bible um, had in mind for for us today. I would like you, Jerry, to take us through, please. Sure. The Lord God who created us considers his people as the apple of his eye, the object of his supreme regard. He who created us in his image is also the one who created and sustains the universe. God reveals himself as a personal God who initiates and sustains a relationship with his people. He's not a God who is hard to find or please, even though he established his throne in heaven, but rather a God who desires to be near to those who call upon him in truth and to those who fear him. What does it mean to call upon him in truth? In this week's study, we shall learn how those who love and fear God, those who trust him and commit their way to him, may confidently claim his promises of protection, deliverance and care, as clearly David and others who contributed to writing the Psalms, did. The Lord is both willing and able 
to act on behalf of those who call out to him for help, because he and he alone is the living God, not a God who is made of wood or stone by the hand of man. The living God delights to answer our prayers if we choose to trust and obey him. However, does he always answer our prayers? Does he always prevent bad things from happening to those who love and worship him? How does it impact our faith when he doesn't or doesn't appear to? How does it affect our relationship with him? These are very important questions to consider. But first, Len, I would like to ask if you could lead us in prayer, please. Certainly. <laughs> would you like to join us in prayer, listeners? Dear Father in heaven, as we, your panel today, opens up your word, we pray, Lord, there that we can find a message of hope, a message that will give people something to hang on to. And the message that we hope to convey today from the book of Psalms is that you are not a remote God. You are not a God who has to be pleased with sacrifices and gifts, but you care for us right from the start. We pray that all our listeners, all the listeners today, will have this experience and know that you are personal, that you love them each. Yes. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, last week we saw how the psalmist spoke with great conviction and certainty about the one true God who alone is just and righteous and the sovereign king over the whole world. From this position of certainty, the psalmist expresses his confidence that God will provide for him and deliver him in his hour of need. A good example of this is found in Psalm 34, verse 17, where it says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. This is perhaps why he starts the psalm with the words, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, Brenton, it's clear that David, who wrote most of the psalms, had an essential knowledge of who God is and how he acts. Yet his knowledge of God remained incomplete. God, on the other hand, has a perfect knowledge of us and his entire creation, since he is the source of all knowledge. Psalm 139 is a very well-known psalm that highlights God's perfect knowledge of man. Can you please read and comment on verses 1 to 12 and reflect? Certainly, Jerry. Uh, the first, um, this section that you've asked me to read really can be balanced or uh, divided into two sections. The first section is God's knowledge of us, and the second section is um, God's presence with us or over us. So I'm going to start at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. Your understanding, you understand my thoughts are far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your presence, your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. In the first section where it talks about, in verse 1, God searching and knowing us, uh, I'm reminded of several experiences in the Bible uh, where Samuel was asked to go and choose a king from the sons of Jesse. And uh, when he saw the first son, he thought, this is the man. And God said, no. <laughs> he said, uh, man sees one thing, but God sees another. Then in Jeremiah, we are told that because of our wickedness, because the heart of man is wicked, we cannot accurately determine the future. We cannot actually determine our relationships to others and why we do things because sin has distorted these things. So searched me and known me is talking in the past tense. Then we move on to um, he he's really carried away in the first six verses because he says such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then he talks in the second uh, segment that you've given me, verses 7 to 12, about it doesn't matter where I go, God is with me. And I was reminded there of another example in the Bible of our friend Jonah, who was in the belly of a fish, and who prayed to the Lord and thanked him that he could talk to the Lord even in his holy temple from inside the belly of a fish in the sea, and that he thanked the Lord for his salvation and that he expected to offer praise and um, sacrifice to the Lord. So in summary, we could say that these verses are comforting, whereas for the wicked, as we know from Isaiah, we're told the wicked are like the troubled sea. There is no rest, my God says, for the wicked. So there's a big contrast between this psalm, the first 12 verses that we've looked at, and how the wicked approach life. Mm. And I think that's something that we can take, Jerry into our relationship with the Lord, we can have that confidence, that abiding trust that no matter the circumstances, God is with us. Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much, Brenton. That was uh, well put. Now, Joe, continuing still in Psalm 139, uh, can you read the verses uh, 13 to 18 and comment, please? Certainly. Starting in verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, when I awake, I am still with you. Mm-hmm. Now, these texts speak of the intimate involvement and creatorship and foreknowledge of God in relation to each and every person. He knows each person intimately. He knows how we tick 
our innermost fears, hopes, desires, gifts, as well as flaws, our thoughts. And here this psalm addresses God, it addresses his creatorship, his ownership, but also his foreknowledge. This is a, a trait of the omniscient God. Nothing catches him off guard, stuns him or causes him to stumble. The future is an open book to him, and this is comforting because he knows where he's leading me. I can trust him. Mm. Now, some may be tempted to think that my future has been predetermined for me. This is not the case. It is important not to come away thinking that I am subject to what has been predetermined. I am a free moral agent. Everyone is. And I choose life and God as each, as can each and every other person too. It tells us that God knows the future. It doesn't mean that the choices I make in life have been predetermined for me. And I have no choice in the matter. Um, you hear it said that it was my destiny, my fate. It was written in the stars. But you and I do have a choice, and God knows everything, and he has predestined to save us all. I won't read all the texts that are involved, but there are texts peppered throughout Scripture that tell us that God wants every person to be saved. We are predestined to be saved. We choose to be lost. Mm -hmm. And so here David is blown away by God's watch care as declared in verse 17. I'll read it from the Living Bible. I'll read it again. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn toward me. And when I awaken in the morning, you are still thinking of me. So here we have, you know, the fact that God is, con we are constantly being thought of by God. Um, in, you know, we're never far from his thoughts and he's, always looking how he may lead us and guide us ever closer to him and eternal life. Amen. God's thoughts towards us are thoughts of peace and uh, and to give us a hope. They're all good thoughts towards us, aren't they? And he doesn't, as you said, uh, Joe, he doesn't predetermine our path, but he already knows what path you're going to take. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's what comes right. out of it. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, this is something we can really cling to. Yeah, beautiful words, those. Brenton, you'd like to comment? Yeah, just um, what Joe said, I agree with totally. There's one interesting fact, though, the difference between the true God and the gods of wood and stone that you talked about in your introduction and the gods that the heathen nations worshipped is this. It was necessary to appease those gods in order to get a good life and prosperity and all the rest of it. Now, that would suggest that even if those gods had had knowledge, which they didn't, but even if they did, they didn't know the future. They couldn't... Um, help people because you were spending all your time appeasing them. The God of heaven knows the future. He knows our hearts and he's drawing us to him all the time. So that to me sets the God of heaven apart from these idols, these worthless idols that people worship. Mm. Amen. That's true. Now, Lynn, God's perfect knowledge of man well, some people might find the fact that God knows everything about them, including their darkest secrets, a little unsettling and perhaps even frightening. What do you think? Should it? What does God do with this knowledge? 
Well, I guess everybody likes their personal space and perhaps some think that God is invading their personal space. But I need to reiterate that God knows absolutely everything about us, not only what we do, but also what we think. And God knows the human condition. Let me read something from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, I suppose some people would feel a bit unsettled if they had something to hide. But if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. And I suppose people who've got something to hide are quite alarmed by the fact when they realise that God knows all their thoughts, all their plans, all their wickedness, and it's uh, it can be quite alarming. But, you know, on the other hand, it should remind us also that no matter how good or bad we try to be, we'll never be good enough to go to heaven on our own. Mm. And it's good news because it tells us that in spite of our sin, God still loves us. Yes, we might have done bad things, and God knows all about them, but he still loves us. And that's um, proven in the, by the fact that Jesus came to this world and gave his life to save us from our sins. I like the very end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All right, now I'd just like to add something else. If God knows all about us, why bother to pray? I mean, I pray for things, and I'm sure many people pray for things, and I imagine this week there will be people up around Townsville who will be praying for protection and safety because of this cyclone that's developing. Yes, the question is, why should we pray if God knows? You know, sometimes we need to move the hands of God in a test of our faith. God doesn't necessarily do things right when we think so, but it's a test of our faith. And it also helps us to relate to God that we should know his will. So is it unsettling that God knows all about us? Well, if you've got something to hide, it might be. But if you don't have anything to hide, it's a, it's a privilege to know that God knows all about us. Yeah, that's how you look at it. Very good, uh, Len. Now, Joe, you wanted to comment? I've got a slightly different take on that. I think mm -hmm. that um, because God knows everything, it doesn't matter what you've done, your confession and coming to God is not going to shock him. It's not going to disappoint him even because he knows. Mm -hmm. In fact, he would be thrilled to hear from you. 
thrilled to hear that um, you have come to him asking for forgiveness, asking for direction, asking for a change in your life. So I don't think anyone needs to fear anything because God knows everything anyway. So coming to him is just going to thrill him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, Nick. Yes, and and just to add uh, on that um, a bit more, it's not only that God knows uh, everything, but it's how we connect. Because, uh, you know, remember we uh, talking today about that God uh, hears and delivers. I mean, can God hear something which has been not expressed? You know what I mean? I mean, even though he knows everything, Mm-hmm. But if we don't express ourselves, you know, God is inviting us to go to him, to ask, to realize our situation. We can go to many other places and things in life. And many people there are trying to find comfort and uh, help from any other sources except God. Mm-hmm. And I think this, that's why it's important this relationship in between me and God. Not that God doesn't know everything. God knows everything about me, but he's inviting me to realize that he knows and he can help. Yes, indeed. And Nick, while while I've got you there, can you read Psalm 40 verses 1 to 3 and comment on the connection between waiting patiently, as it says there, and learning to trust in the Lord? Absolutely. This is um, a beautiful passage, uh, and it's very much connected with one of my favorite psalms. Uh, verse 1 and to 3, I'll read from uh, chapter 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mare. He set my feet on the solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see that he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. I'm reading from New Living Translation. Now, also other translations may put it a little bit different and in in my um, mother tongue translation, it says that um, I put my trust in the Lord. And, and it says that God bent down towards me and heard my cry. What an amazing thing. Not only that God turned to me when I was in trouble, but God bent down towards me. I think that's a beautiful picture of God, how God is taking my situation. And I said in other parts of the the psalm, it says, you know, trust in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. If I'll go a bit further, uh, uh, Jerry, and uh, in Psalm 50, for example, verse 15, it says here, then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. You know, God is inviting us not to despair when I face difficulties, not to um, be 
discouraged or disappointed, but have that faith in him that he knows everything and, you know, he will rescue me. Now, not always we came out of our troubles as we want or as we expected because we don't know the end from the beginning, but because God know it, how wonderful will be to allow him to take control of my life. If I can just butt yes. in there for a second, Nick, trust is something that needs to be be developed, doesn't it? This is a process. And I was thinking of um, a few verses in James, in fact, the very first chapter of James. So read two verses there. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what I get out of that is that, um, as I said, it's, it is a process that is developed, this faith and trust. There's not something that comes instantly. And as you go through the Psalms, you, you get a very clear indication that um, both David and the other people who, who wrote the Psalms had that trust, that abiding trust, that no matter what situation they were in, they l- had learned to trust in God. They were convinced that God not only heard them, but would also deliver them and be able to deal with the, the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as you mentioned there in James, um, Jerry, because, you know, I like verse three, uh, in particular when he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, yeah. your endurance has a chance to grow. Yeah. It says in in this um, translation, in New Living Translation. What that means, uh, Jerry and panel, when we go through difficulties and keep in mind that God hears and delivers. God is not a distant God. God is very much involved with our affairs. Yeah. But we are going through some difficulties in life to strengthen up, to be to toughen up, to be ready to face different difficulties. It's like a sportive or anybody else, you know, you have to put your muscles at work to bring the right result. And I think this is, this is the essence of um, our understanding through these Psalms that God wants us to be as fit as possible for the faith and the life we have. Absolutely. Now, panel, I've got another question. Another verse that expresses David's confidence in God's help can be found in Psalm 55, verse 22. Would anybody like to pick that up and comment? Yes, I would, Jerry. And I'd like to read Psalm 55, 22. It says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And this is repeated in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. What does it mean to cast one's cares upon the Lord? Well, basically it means, Lord, I can't handle this. I'm giving the problem to you to solve it in your way. And I think this is a good uh, uh, practice to adopt that if we have things that we are unable to solve on our own, 
then give it to God and let him solve it. It simply shows our relationship and our confidence in God that we can give him the things that we can't handle. Yeah, that's well put. And Joe? Well, sometimes uh, we think that this is this is a shared burden, but as Len has said, the text says, cast your cares, which means you throw. It's like throwing a ball. You have to cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. It's not um, a shared burden that uh, you have to help God through this, you know, um, as well, that you've got to battle on. It's To me, it's saying, you know, he will sustain you. He will ne- let, never let the righteous be shaken. So be- feel free to dump the load on him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Brenton? There was, uh, there's another very good illustration in Scripture, I believe, Jerry, for this, and it's the story of Joseph. If ever there was a story where casting care upon the Lord and waiting upon him, the story of Joseph, I believe, aptly illustrates that. But um, if you were to take, say, for example, God's timing is absolutely perfect. It's not a moment too soon and a moment too late. But in um, Genesis 45, and I'm not going to read it, I'll quote it. He says three times to his brothers, and he says, don't be angry with yourselves. Three times he mentions it. Now, if I had asked Joseph that, um, did he believe that when he was in prison after the relationship with Potiphar's wife, he may have said, I can't see the end from the beginning, but I trust God anyway. But now his brothers are in front of him. They're in his power. He can do whatever he likes with them. He's the second most powerful man in Egypt. And he recognizes that all along God has sent him um, here. And he says, don't be angry with yourselves. Three times he mentions it. Guys, God sent me here to save yeah. lives. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a wonderful testimony. Sure, that's right. Yes, Nick. Just very quickly on, uh, I mean, and Joe um, mentioned that about the righteous, that God will hear and God will not let the righteous to go down to fall. I'd like to just keep this in mind. And it, it came in my mind straight away, the experience of Job. God declared about Job that he's a righteous man. And he went to a terrible experience in his life. Mm-hmm. But what God meant when he said, have you seen my righteous uh, man, uh, Job? is that if we are in God's hands, we will be equipped and able to go through the most terrible difficulties uh, in life with God's help. That's part of being righteous uh, because you don't despair. You trust in God in everything what you do. Yeah, true. All right, moving on. Now, Will, an example of David's confidence in God's protection and vindication of those who love and serve him is found in Psalm 17, verses 1 to 9, and particularly verses 7 to 9. This must stem from a strong connection and prior personal experience with God. David expresses this confidence in Psalm 91, verse 2. Can you read these verses and then comment on the apparent inconsistency when tragedy strikes God's faithful people? Because some people may well ask, well, where was God's protection? And can this undermine our confidence in God? It's a big question, Bill. <laughs> yes, it is, Jerry. Well, the Bible is awash with assurances of God's care and protection. This is what we've even seen in our study so far. 
In the Psalms, you will actually find people addressing the Lord and pointing to the fact that they have been faithful and are not like those that are living in defiance of the Lord, those that are unrepentant and even spiritually reckless. Now, in the Psalm, we find a sample of those reminding the Lord that they are doing the best they can to walk in his way. And I'm reading Psalm 17, verses 1 to 9. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer and lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. And you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Saviour of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. Well, it's wonderful that you can remind God that you're really doing the best you can. But he trusts in God, because we find in Psalm 91, verse 2, Jerry, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. But that leads us to inquire, if God's servant is living a faithful and obedient life, why are there phrases in these Psalms, a part of which I have read, calling for help in trouble? Do the righteous then experience severe trial too? I'm sure there is going to be a chorus of a million voices testifying that the child of God also faces hardship, pain and loss. Jesus said it well when he commented, an enemy has done this. I think that if we lose faith in God, because we aren't shielded all the time, and walk away from him, may I ask, to whom then shall we direct our steps? Certainly not to the enemy of whom Jesus speaks. I find it interesting that the disciple Peter had the same thing on his mind when he said, John 6, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Now I've settled it in my mind through the words of Job. In Job 2, verse 10, shall we accept only good from our God? And shall we not accept adversity? I think we can trust him in both circumstances. Mm. Thank you, Will. That's so well put, and it's it's such a yeah, it's it's such a difficult question to to grapple with, isn't it? Because um, that is the reality uh, of life uh, for the Christian. Also, bad things happen to good people. Um, Len, you would like to comment? Yes, just a quick comment. What's the difference if you uh, suffer adversities 
if you belong to the Lord or if, or if you don't belong to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference. When you belong to the Lord, you realize that he knows about you, he cares for you, and that although that um, situation you might be experiencing could be really horrible, mm. you have uh, a hope. But a person who doesn't belong to the Lord doesn't have any hope, and there is the difference, and we should acknowledge that as Christians. We have this hope because God has promised if we're faithful to him, he will give us eternal life. And these things we experience now, well, they'll appear to be absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I guess that's where the whole thing about faith comes into it, doesn't it? If, uh, as, as we've been talking about, you believe that God knows everything, I think that must be very comforting for uh, the Christian, knowing that nothing takes God by surprise and he doesn't abandon you when things go wrong. He's there with you. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. And uh, and that's a good thing to remember uh, because there's a, there's a better future, as you said, Lynn, for those who put their faith and trust in God. And what a difference that makes. What a difference. The blessed hope, as Titus uh, or Paul, Paul's letter to Titus says, the blessed hope of the Christian. And what a difference. Yes, Nick. Absolutely, yes. I just want to um, put a bit of a plug now here for the offer which we have today, because I don't want uh, you, my dear friend, listening today to miss out on this uh, wonderful book which we have for today. And it's uh, called What the Bible Says about this is a book of, uh, by uh, Loni Melashenko and contains more than 30 bible studies on different uh, aspects how important it is to know the bible not in part you know just portions here and there but to know the bible well to have that confidence and trust in god that he is in control of all things i'll invite you to ask for this offer and you need to send us a text message with the code SABS3. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study, number three, added there. Don't leave any space in between them. And um, send this code to 04820938383. And mm-hmm. our friendly uh, robot will take you through. Thank you, Nick. Now, Joe, Psalm 114 is a poetic description of God's marvellous deliverance of his people from the bondage of Egypt and his unlimited power over nature. If God can and has done this, then nothing is impossible for him. Can you please read this psalm? And if historically the children of Israel had to be delivered or set free from slavery in Egypt, is it just as necessary for God's people today to be set free? And what spiritual dangers could we be facing? And what might our slavery look like? Well, that's a, that's a, lots of good questions in there, Jerry. Yeah. We've got half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll read Psalm 114. Yeah. And it is a beautifully poetic psalm. When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. 
The mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, sea, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. This psalm, as you already mentioned, Jerry, is a celebration of all of God's or many of God's mighty works. It refers to major events in Israel's history which defied the laws of nature, the Red Sea crossing, the crossing of the Jordan River on dry ground, even the great walls of Jericho coming down, crashing down to the ground, causing the ground to tremble, the mountains quaking at the giving of the Ten Commandments, water from a desert rock. Now, these are all supernatural events, humanly speaking. And yet there's a joyful undertone. There's the skipping and leaping of lambs and rams, which reveal a pure joy of trust. One of the greatest miracles of all, I think, is also alluded to by David at the end, and that is that stony hearts can become channels of living water, forming a pool for others to drink from. In the face of so many miracles, Israel unfortunately remained hard-hearted and hearts like flint and God promised them a change of heart if they would only be willing they would become springs of living water welling up to eternal life to quote Jesus a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh this is God's words to Israel God is about freeing people from slavery of any kind, any habit that is practiced to the detriment of the person and their loved ones. Um, these habits are strengthened by practice and habits we wish ourselves to be free from. And then there are those habits which aren't good, which we are content to cohabit with for a little while longer. God is willing to free us from all impediments which mar his image in our hearts so that we too can become those springs of living water welling up to eternal life. And I'm quoting there from John 4.14. 4, yes, indeed. Thank you. As you said, Joe, we could talk about that for quite a while, couldn't we? There's so much to uh, unpack there. Uh, Brenton, this is a big question too. Uh, so it's going to be a challenge for you to condense that, but we'll have a go. The world we are living in can hardly be described as a peaceful place, both for believers and unbelievers. In the 12th chapter of Revelation, we read that the dragon, who is identified in verse 9 of the same chapter as the devil and Satan, will be enraged with God's people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This will eventually culminate in what the prophet Daniel calls a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, and includes the outpouring of the bowls of the wrath of God, which we see listed in Revelation 16 uh, being the seven last plagues. Well, with all that in mind, should we be afraid? What do you think? Let me give you the example of Scripture. I'm looking at um, using the uh, story of the deliverance of the children of Israel that Joe has touched on, but I'm going to be looking at two verses from Exodus chapter 6, which I find interesting. The end of chapter 5, Moses and Aaron have been to Pharaoh, and this is what uh, Moses says to God. I can sort of sympathize with him a bit, Jerry. He says, so Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, 
why have you brought trouble on this people? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Then in chapter 6, in verses 6 and 7, God um, responds, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. You were just talking about the seven last plagues, Jerry, in Mm -hmm. uh, Revelation 16. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The same principles, the same metaphors, I guess, apply in uh, the book of Revelation. God's people will be delivered in the same way. It may well be, and we know this from reading books that deal with last day events, Jerry, that God's people are crying out to him continually for deliverance, almost as if to say, when are you going to do something? When are you going to help us? Well, God reassured the Israelites back here, whilst they were still in Egypt, that he would bring them out and that he would judge the Egyptians and he would take them to himself and they would be his people. How does that apply today? One of my very favourite verses, Jerry, in Scripture is John 16.33. And it goes something along the lines, my peace I leave with you. That's John 14.27, but John 16.33, he says, I leave you my gift of peace. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. The actual Greek word for it is, in this world you will have pressure. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So this is Christ talking before he went to the cross. In his very last, um, shall we say, discussion with his disciples, less than 24 hours later, he's hanging on the cross. So I think we can be assured that the same God who delivered the Israelites from the land of Egypt, will deliver us. But it may very well be in a similar manner where we are questioning God, but we are still holding fast and God's saying, hang on, I will deliver you in my own Amen. time and at the appropriate time. Amen. So, so that my glory may be seen in all that we do. Yeah. Yes, I think the events that uh, you described, uh, the exodus and all the things that happened there and God's just astonishing intervention that should uh, inspire us with confidence that when we yeah. face a, a very similar situation right at the end of time, it, and, and it's a strong parallel, isn't it? Let's be let's be honest. Yeah. God, God is just as able today to do what He ever has done in the in the past. Yes, Joe. Just in answer to your question, should we be afraid? It says in First John four, there is no fear in love, but in perfect, perfect love. love casts out fear because mm-hmm. fear hath torment and God's people are not to be tormented because we have perfect trust in God. That's that's the uh, the key word, isn't it? Perfect trust yes, in God. Yes, yeah, come what may, absolutely. Now, Will, a number of Psalms talk about a place of safety from which God sends help to his people. For instance, Psalm verses three, uh, verse 3, verse 4, it says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Psalm 14, verse 7, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. And finally, Psalm 27, verse 5, where it says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. There's another name 
that is often used to describe a place of safety with which is uh, synonymous with holy hill and pavilion tabernacle and zion and can you tell us what that is and what's the significance of that place well he has us in his heart it says and under his wings and ultimately i think um, i would interpret it as um, he ultimately has a haven of rest and peace for us i would call it heaven jerry yeah definitely just to add a little bit um, here when we talk about um, where my help comes mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. you know each one of us i think we imagine differently god and uh, how god works and but it's very important to understand from the written word how god act how god helps us and because it says about from the sanctuary or you know in the olden days the israel they were oh, everything what happened in their life was around the tabernacle around the sanctuary where god dwells today we may not have the same thing in the modern days we may not have that setting like the israelites but do we understand fully and this is a, a thing which we may need to study further or maybe even on another discussion about the heavenly sanctuary and the ministry of jesus in the heavenly sanctuary where my help comes from because i think this is very important to understand the work of our lord jesus christ in the sanctuary yeah indeed indeed len yes sanctuary simply means a place of safety yes and wherever mm-hmm. god is is a place yes. of safety so and he promises to be with us and that's uh, a place of safety Mm. Now, Joe, we've talked about uh, developing an unreserved trust in God at all times and in all circumstances. Where would you point people to in the Psalms, um, a Psalm par excellence, if you like, that uh, describes that and that you could really uh, make it your own, as it were? Well, Psalm 23 is one of the uh, most or best known and most often quoted passages in the Bible, but Mm. it is not, and it is used commonly um, in the context of death in a funeral service, but it is full of life and rest and peace. And I'll I'll read it. Mm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. God's reputation here is at stake. Even Mm. though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It speaks to us of renewal and that we need spiritual and physical restoration. It promises that trials and difficulties are never permanent, that we will be led out into the light. God's presence is always there, even when we have difficulty sensing it, and he has prepared outcomes, results expected ends that we can't even imagine if we continue to walk with him and trust in him for guidance and protection. Absolutely. And may we all come to a point in our lives where we have that trust, for sure. 
Now, just in closing, uh, I'd like to read something from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. How do we avail ourselves of his riches that he so longs to bestow on us? I'd like to finish our study for today, listeners, by quoting the first verse of a well-known hymn that most Christians would be familiar with and which I believe gives us the answer. It's called Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Brenton, can I ask you to close us, to close with a prayer? For yes, us, certainly. Mm-hmm. Father in heaven, we've shared so many wonderful psalms today of your love, your intimate knowledge of us, our very thoughts, our actions, uh, your guiding and protecting hand, and the fact that you know the future where we don't. But Joe finished with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. May all our wants, all our needs, all our fears, Lord, all our joys, all our sorrows, they're known to you. We're told that you put them in a bottle, so to speak. But may we, as a result of this study that Jerry has led us in today, may we develop that unwavering trust in you that regardless of what the future holds, God is already there. He's promised that he is behind us, he's before us, and that he will take us safely through to the kingdom of heaven. May the peace that Jesus offers be ours and those, and be it also for our listeners today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen for that. Uh, thank you so much, uh, everyone on the panel, for your input today. Uh, yeah, we can go over and over and uh, bring some beauties out of these uh, wonderful uh, psalms. But my dear friend listening today, uh, you may um, experience some difficulties in life. You may have been going through some, uh, um, you know, challenges and only you know that. And God will invite you to trust in God because he hears and he delivers. We don't know what's going on in the life of each other down deep, but God knows. We can look at the face of the people, you know, at what's around, but God knows the heart. I'll invite you to trust in the Lord. And also, please benefit of this offer which we have for today. What the Bible says about. It's a wonderful book with uh, over 30 uh, Bible studies. And you just need to send us a text message with the code SABS3. SA stands for South Australia BS for Bible study, add number three. Don't leave any space in between them. And uh, we'll be very happy to share with you this book. Send that code to 0482-09883. Well, thank you so much again for being with us today. Until next time, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk.
in the footsteps of Jesus. We are inviting to be part with us as we are learning a bit more, singing the Lord's song in a strange land. May God bless you.